0: You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work.
1: I can tell you the millennials and the Gen Zs are very comfortable with disability because disability is now in the mainstream classroom and they can't understand why there's disability in their classroom and then they go into a workplace and there's no disability. It's just not diverse.
0: Welcome to episode 53 of the Happier at Work podcast. My guest today is Claire Kennelly, who is the founder of Inclusive Cork and Inclusive World Training, who provide interactive and e-learning courses for diversity and inclusion, specializing in disability business inclusion. Claire is a graduate of UCC, University College Cork, for those outside of Ireland, with a BA in Spanish and Sociology and a higher diploma in Education. And she has worked for 30 years in varying teaching roles. ELT, post primary, further and third level education. Claire is vision impaired and is personally and professionally passionate about universal design and disability employment. We have an absolutely wonderful conversation. Claire has so much insight and so much wisdom to share. So I really hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome Claire to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on as my guest today. As we were saying before we sort of came on air, we met last year probably at one of the last events that was in person, uh, a, a really great event for women uh, for International Women's Day. It might have been in uh, Facebook last year and it was such I think we um, I think we had connected already online but it was so nice to put a face to the name and to actually meet you in person. <laughs> um, and I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and how you got into what you're doing?
1: Uh, thank you, Eva. and it's lovely to be here as well, and you're right, it's nearly a year since we were um, listening to Sinead Burke up at Facebook, and it was such a great... Um, meeting. Um, So my name is Claire Kennelly, and I am the founder of Inclusive Cork, which is now becoming Inclusive World Training. And um, how did I get into this space? Um, I do disability awareness training, and I got into this because I'm vision impaired and I've been a teacher for 30 years and I suppose I had so many students over the years with varying disabilities and when they went for work experience or looking for work they always had more difficulty than people who didn't have disabilities and um, I just felt there's this huge gap in understanding what disability is in society and um, I wanted to come out and educate private industry, Um, but now it's becoming all organisations, not just private industry, community organisations, voluntary organisations and public service are getting the training now as well around what disability is, disability awareness and I suppose disability business inclusion is what I do.
0: Great. Well, that seems like a really
1: great place to start. Like what is disability? What does that mean? And that's a really good question. What is disability? Disability according to the World Health Organization is when a feature of your body doesn't interact with the society in which it is living. So disability is actually an evolving concept, just like many other of our, of our protected characteristics like gender, gender is an evolving concept. So what gender was a hundred years ago it isn't today. And it's the same with disability. So I suppose from the head going right down through our body, um, starting at the head, starting at the top, it can be Uh, neurodiversity, neurological, cognitive disability, intellectual disability, brain injury, and sensory, it can be blindness or deafness or vision impairment. And it can be any ongoing illness, any health um, issue, it can be something physical, something neurological. So it's a very, very broad concept. And I suppose I have kind of four areas why I know disability is still on the back foot in Ireland, but in society in general is because when we talk about disability, the narrative around disability, Aoife, is still very tragic. You know, there's a lot of tragedy and sympathy. And, you know, until we change that narrative, we're going to be very much stuck. Disability is also very complex. Right. And just like I've given you all these different areas of what disability can be, it can affect every part of our body, every part of our human experience. And so it is complex. And as a result of that complexity, then there's a lot of fear. Point three, there's a lot of fear and myths and stereotypes around disability. And um, that's what's also keeping us stuck. in a place where we don't want to be. And then finally, leadership. There hasn't really been much leadership around disability, but this is changing. This is changing with organisations like the Valuable 500, uh, which is run by a Dublin woman called Caroline Casey, and also with um, people like Sinead Burke, who we went to see in Facebook last year as well. So um, that's what disability is today, but it is an evolving concept. And I think with technology, especially assistive technology, that uh, what disability will be in the future is very different to what it is today.
0: Brilliant, I love it. And you're you're so right. It is this, the narrative is tragic. um, And I love how you explained how it's so complex, because it is. And I didn't even realise until you started listing out all of those different areas that are considered uh, to, to form part of disability, You mentioned Caroline Casey. I saw her speak at a Network Ireland event recently and she was just phenomenal. Like She was just a fantastic speaker and her initiative with the 500 is just incredible as well. So I will definitely put a a link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to find out a little bit more about that. And I suppose the next... So once we can know what disability is and as you say it's this evolving concept and with assistive technology then it will evolve even further into the future what what are the main issues that are happening in workplaces all over Ireland and as you mentioned you know you're Sounds like you're gonna take on the world now with inclusive world <laughs> training, which is fantastic. Um,
1: what, are, what are the main issues that you see in businesses? Okay, well, I suppose if we look at what's happening in society, what's happening in society is happening in businesses as well, because we're all people in society. And at the moment, um, just in terms of the numbers, in Ireland, from the last census, we're still working off the 2016 census, EFA, because we were supposed to have a census last year, but obviously with everything that's going on, they couldn't run a census. It's supposed to be on in April this year, but I don't know if that's going to happen either. Probably not. Um, so from the 2016 census, we know that one in seven people in Ireland, have a disability. Now, the World Health Organization would say that's one in five people around the world. So that's 20% possibly of our population. So in Ireland, it's about 13.5% of our population. And in terms of those statistics, we know as well that a third of students with disabilities drop out of education, right? They don't feel it's for them, their needs aren't being met. A third of students between the ages of 15 and 19 drop out of education. And then when it comes to um, those who are educated, 50%, you are less likely to get a job. As a graduate with a disability, you're 50% more likely to be unemployed. All right. So those statistics are what is the issue at the workplace, right? And so workplaces are missing out on a fantastic talent pool by... By, I suppose, being stuck in this narrative or the complexity or the fear that they have around disability. So I suppose what I'm doing in my organization, um, and I'll just explain why it's moved from inclusive Cork to inclusive world training, Aoife, is because I'm vision impaired. So when I started my business, I thought I don't I don't drive. And I thought, look, there's enough businesses in Cork. I will train in Cork around disability inclusion and will make Cork a leader in inclusion. And I have some amazing organisations that I work with here in Cork. And then Covid hit and all my training had to go online. And I had organisations from all over the place asking me, could I do training? And I'm like, well, now that it's online, yes, I can. Because before I couldn't be traveling around um, because it's much more difficult on public transport to go somewhere for the day, do training. And sometimes the public transport doesn't bring you to the door of the place anyway. You might have to get a taxi to the train station, then the train, then another taxi or whatever to to get to your location. So it just wasn't viable for me. Um, But now with the online training, I've changed to inclusive world training and I have... um, an online course as well, an e-learning course, as well as just being able to train on Zoom people all over the world um, around disability confidence, disability inclusion. So you were asking me what's happening um, specifically in the workplace. Well, I suppose a number that's very important for people to realise is that most disability is acquired. All right. So disability, you can be born with a disability, you can inherit a disability or you can acquire a disability during your lifetime. So you can imagine workplace accidents like maybe in construction and falling off a wall or um, and you might acquire a brain injury or you're out on your motorbike and you come off your motorbike and you might acquire a spinal injury. Right. Most people acquire their disabilities during their working age. So I think this is very important information for HR managers to know, or for workplaces, to know that um, 85% uh, of the disability that is in the workplace is acquired, right? Um, Between the ages of 18 and 65. So it's very much a topic around recruitment, but also around retention of your employees, that if something happens to them during their lifetime, that they know that the job is able to accommodate them or able to, um, you know, do something around keeping the job as well, you know, and I help workplaces navigate the supports as well that the government gives around ensuring that we retain disability in the workplace.
0: That's a really interesting concept and I—I I, it's not something that ever really occurred to me before and I, I def, certainly didn't know that most disability is required, 85%, that's an incredible statistic. Um, I love this concept of recruitment and retention and going back to something you said earlier, Claire, needs are not being met um, and that was in, specifically in relation to the students but that ties in with the research that I did as part of my master's last year Uh in relation to retention and the importance of our needs being met at work. Can you talk a little bit more about that in relation to what you were talking about, about the acquired disability in the workplace and how organisations can drive retention? Okay, well,
1: acquired disability, it can also happen. It doesn't always have to be as a result of an accident. It could be as a result of ageing. And I'll just even give my own example. Like, I have a disability. It wasn't acquired. OK, it's a genetic issue. Um, I was diagnosed initially at, we'll say, 19, but it was a progressive disability. Like I was told my eyesight would deteriorate Um they didn't know how long I would have, like whether whether it would deteriorate a lot in five years or 10 years or 15 years. But um, I knew eventually I would lose most of my sight. Um so I was in the workplace, but it's about then when you're in the workplace as you're changing because you do change um, as a result of a disability. And then maybe your work practices change as well. So what I do a lot of um, in business disability inclusion is we talk about that employee experience and with most disabilities as well, Aoife, are hidden most people, you can't see that they have a disability. So whether that's dyspraxia or dyslexia or autism, you may not be aware that someone has a disability. So I suppose um, the whole question of disclosure is very important as well. When do you disclose? Obviously then with something like um, more of a physical disability, if you're a wheelchair user, disclosure isn't an issue because um, it's very clear that you are um, disabled. Right. And so that conversation around disclosure is one of the biggest issues for people with hidden disabilities. And I get calls all the time from, I suppose, people who are new recruits, you know, finishing, you know, new graduates, going out to the workplace and they're like, when do I tell the employer I have a disability? Right. And I suppose from you're asking me, what can the workplace do? What can employers do? There's so much talk now about diversity and inclusion, but how can you show the world that you really are inclusive? And you can do this by ensuring, for example, that your website is inclusive, right? And that anyone who goes onto that website, that they can navigate that website whether they're using a screen reader or whatever other tools they may need so that's your window to the world so if you're a new graduate with a disability and you go onto a website and you can't even navigate that website i suppose it's telling you that the employer really isn't inclusive so they might have a big statement on we're very inclusive and you know equality of access etc but If you don't, you know, you can talk the talk, but if you're not walking the walk, then um, you're not going to recruit the talent pool that is um, very flexible, very resilient, very creative, very loyal. Um, You're going to miss out on on that talent. So you really have to show um, every step of the way that if you say you are inclusive, that you really are, and that includes everybody. And what often happens with disability, I find diversity is often siloed. And when I go into organizations, they're like, oh, our strategy now is um, women. We're, we're, we're talking about women this year or race. Or... And I'm like, well, you know, women are disabled as well. You know, <laughs> like there are disabled mm. women. <laughs> and okay. um, I have a, a good example of that recently. I was... Um, it was for International Women's Day, actually, uh, a number of years ago, an organisation were saying, oh, we might get you in to talk. And then they were going to get me in for training as well. And they came back to me and they were like, um, you know what, you, you coming in speaking as a woman on um, International Women's Day, it might dilute the message around disability. And I was like, What? Like, I'm still a woman, you know, (laughs) (laughs) one of my characteristics isn't more important than the other one, you know. So um, but I think we often silo disability or sorry, diversity into, oh, we have a strategy on women. Oh, we have a strategy on LGBT. Oh, we have Mm. a strategy on um, race. And what I would say to organizations is that, yes, there are nine protected characteristics, um, but the one disability. I think we need to be very intersectional about it. Um, disability can impact everyone. So whether you are Hindu or Christian, whether you are an Irish settled person or an Irish traveller, whether you are um, gay or transgender, whether you are old or young, you can get a disability. You know, you can be born with it, you can inherit it or you can acquire it during your lifetime. And to be honest, Eva, like we're all living longer. And, um, you know, the longer you do live or, you know, you, the bigger the chance are you will have a disability at some stage. You know, if we have the honour of living a long time, then we will at some stage acquire a disability.
0: This is it. And I, I suppose it's something to be aware of. But uh, it's interesting what you were saying about hidden disability and disclosure, because that is something I was going to ask about based on, on what you were saying earlier. You know, um I suppose my assumption would be like we kind of think of disability as something that you can see. And I know that the, the narrative is changing and people's perceptions are changing that disability is not just about what you can see. It, there are, is the hidden disability as well, as you mentioned, and I have seen organisations talking a lot more about that. Really interesting about this idea of disclosure because exactly what I thought, like do you hate like, or? know that someone has a disability especially if you're talking about those numbers one in seven in Ireland or one in five globally do you hate or know does the manager of the person know that that person technically has a disability um and I'd love to drill in a little bit more into this idea of disclosure and and when is the appropriate time to to start talking about it to start bringing it up
1: and that's a really good question. And again, it's a very complex answer because, um, well, number one, I suppose, for any employees um, to know out there, there is no legal obligation to disclose. Right. And um, you are not legally obliged to disclose. But what I always say to um, when my clients who, who I'm working with, people with disabilities, um, you can't get accommodation unless you disclose, especially if you need assistive technology and especially if you want to access some of the public grants like um, work equipment adaptation grants, you know, Um, if you need a particular piece of software, say you need um, a screen reader or um, if you're dyslexic, you want read and write gold, like all of that is supported by the Irish government through the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection. Right. All of these grants are available to employers in the private sector, but you need the employee to disclose. All right. Um, So when do you disclose? Um, I'm currently working with um, a group of vision impaired and blind people, and we were working on the CVs, okay? on their curriculum vitaes. And two of the candidates actually put in their personal statement, you know, I'm a vision impaired person and and about four or five of them didn't. So we had this big discussion and it is like there's no right and wrong Aoife. Um, For two of them, they kind of felt, well, look, I'm an open book and I'd rather them know straight away that I'm vision impaired because it's part of who I am. But then the other candidates were saying, Claire. I don't want to put it on my CV because I know that people have a stereotype of what vision impairment is or what blindness is and I don't want to be discriminated. And both arguments are very valid, right? Um, So it is a personal decision. But then I said, what about when it comes to the point of the interview? Now, an inclusive employer will when they're sending out an invitation to an interview, they would, um, in, you know, obviously say, you know, if you need any accommodations, let us know. And if you are bringing a guide dog or a service dog to an interview, um, you should let the, the employer know um, because they need to ha- ensure that they're able to welcome that service dog you know that there's water supplied or that there's an area for the dog to to go spending all right because dogs are mammals just like the rest of us and they might <laughs> need to spend a penny so like there's a lot of practical things to think about um from everyone's point of view from the person with the disabilities point of view and also from um the employer's point of view so when when do you disclose um If you need accommodations, I think disclose as early as possible. If you have a disability and you don't need any accommodations, if you really don't need, because many of us have disabilities, but we're not necessarily, we don't need anything. You know, like I had my disability for a long time before I ever disclosed or looked for accommodations. You know, I was able to just work away with the eyesight I had and, you know, I used magnifiers on my computers and I just felt there was no need, you know. Um, But when you start needing equipment, definitely have that conversation with your line manager, with your people manager. And then sometimes they're just not ready for that conversation either. What I what the training that I do is called disability confidence training, and it really is down to the very practicalities for line managers, for people managers, for hiring managers, for HR, saying this is what disability is, you know, and these are the practical implications you need to think about. You know, it's not just, oh, it's all lovely and cuddly and warm and fuzzy. You know, there's there's a lot to um, take into consideration as well. For both parties, yeah,
0: I think I mean, definitely and and you're so right in saying that people talk about diversity and inclusion it 's really high on the agenda, but maybe they don 't know the full extent of, of what that actually means um, and I loved what you said about the intersectionality, like just because you 're one thing doesn 't mean that you 're not another as well, so you know when when you take this siloed approach to diversity, then it's it suddenly becomes it's one thing or the other when in fact you could you could fall into multiple um, multiple things um i love this idea as well about the inclusive you mentioned the inclusive workplace when they're inviting someone for an interview they will know what what to do in that scenario to to accommodate for and to, to make it clear that they are inclusive of everyone what what does that look like so how would you describe an inclusive organization?
1: Well, I think an inclusive organization, like I say, number one, any, any face to the world, any of your websites, any of your apps or whatever, they should be accessible. If you're saying you're inclusive, then all of that technology needs to be accessible. So there's the WCAG, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. I mean, um, in Europe, it's 2.1, maybe moving on to 2.2 at this stage. Um, the Europeans, I think, are the leaders really in the world. Um, so, um, in terms of that, so if you have any apps or websites or any material online, it should be accessible. If you're saying you're inclusive, then all of that, like what I call like UX, you know, your um, user accessibility, um, can everyone use it? You know, um, so that's really important, and that says an awful lot about an organisation as well to us people with disabilities, we know when we go on um, whether it's, um, whether it's even been thought about, you know, whether the neurodiversity um, and the vision impairment or um, people, um, deaf people who might have needs as well on the website, that it's, it's, it's considered, you know, that it's been considered. Then you ask kind of, I suppose, if you are, advertising that it's very clear in your advertisement that um, you are an equal opportunities um, employer. But can you show that, Aoife? You know, a lot of people like just put that in, we're equal opportunities, but can you show that? Like, I mean, you can't be what you can't see. And I suppose like, Like even that impacted me for so long. I I didn't know any vision impaired or blind people who were leading organizations or who were principals of schools, you know, like I was the only vision impaired person in my staff room, you know, like and it was kind of unusual. And I suppose um, for organizations, your customer base is very diverse, right? Your customer base, probably 20 percent of your customers, if you're a global organization are disabled. And if you're going into the aging market, what we call the longevity economy, that that number will grow. You know, depending on what your products or services are. But does your employee, do your employees reflect your customers? You know, do you employ the people that you serve as well? Um, So there's a big conversation to be had around that. And I suppose I often felt, you know, um, the classroom is a very diverse classroom, but does the staff room? reflect the classroom, you know, Um, and I think it's changing um, as Ireland changes. We're much more multicultural and, you know, what is it like? We've got um, is it half a million people in Ireland now who are non-nationals from different countries, from over 200 different countries? So, you know, that Ireland has changed so much. in the last 10, 15 years, you know, and um, workplaces are changing as well. But it's the workplace reflecting the society or do you only hire a certain type of person? You know, this this unconscious bias, the, the uh, mini me syndrome, you know, the affinity bias that you hire people like yourself as opposed to like we know all the research, the business case for diversity and the McKinley reports, the Ernst & Young reports, the Accenture reports, they all show that a diverse organisation is a more successful organisation in so many ways. So it has That's like perfect. the business case has already been made for us. Um, but just I suppose in terms of diversity, I do feel that disability is the poor relation that we're kind of forgotten about and that it's like the, the strategies are always around um, other diversities. And like you said, the intersectional thing, um, Aoife, like, yes, I'm vision impaired, but it's not my only identity. I, I identify as a woman. I am also um, a parent. You know, I've, I have two children. Um, I'm also a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a sister. I'm a wife. You know, I, I, I have lots of hobbies and interests, you know. Um, so I'm not just... The vision impaired one there down in Cork you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> there's not, a lot you're of things I can
0: <laughs> by <that>. yes yeah
1: <laughs> exactly and I think that's what when I work with younger graduates and they're saying where when do I say it do I put it on my CV you know you don't want to define yourself just by your disability but then your disability maybe um It will bring something, what I call the lived experience. When I talk about disability, business inclusion, I talk about like the customer experience, the employee experience, the user experience, but the lived experience of disability, I do think adds value to any organization. You know, we have an experience of the world that not many people have. So we see the world in a different way. And I would say that I am more neurodiverse now than I was when I was 19 because I perceive the world in a different way. I experience the world in a different way. And as a result of that, I'm neurodiverse.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Claire, you mentioned about unconscious bias. Um, And I know this is, you know, there's a lot of talk about this and whether it can be trained. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Absolutely. Um yeah, a lot of people are talking about unconscious bias now. And I suppose number one is efa that we all recognize we're all we all have biases, right? And that's just the way the world is. We all have biases like even did you have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee this morning? You know, that's a bias, what your preferences are. What unconscious bias is is when we automatically do things without you know, without thinking about it. So when you do, yes, it can be trained because when you do unconscious bias training, it makes you more conscious about why you do the things you do. All right. Um, so in terms of that, um, like many people, like when we were just talking earlier there about maybe people have negative stereotypes around disability and people might feel uncomfortable around disability, you know, because they've never been with disability. And I often say, like in my trainings, what what generation are you? When were you in school? Okay, because I can see the difference because I have two young people in my house, right, a a 16 year old and a 13 year old, and they laugh at me that I'm running a business on inclusion because they're like, Mum, like, that's just a no brainer. Right. But I'm like, well, when I was growing up, I'm generation X, Okay. and the generation above me are the baby boomers and the generation above that are the silent generation okay so we'll just say if you're running a business and you're from the silent generation or baby boomers or my generation generation x you were probably in school in ireland when disability was segregated okay I don't believe you were in school with children who were wheelchair users or who were blind or who were deaf because they were all in special schools. So you never really met disability unless it was in your own home, unless you had a parent with a disability or a sibling with a disability or a neighbor with a disability. It wasn't in your mainstream school. So what I often say to people is if you're feeling discomfort around disability, that's OK. Acknowledge that. But let's move beyond that, because I can tell you the millennials and the Gen Zs are very comfortable with disability because disability is now in the mainstream classroom and they can't understand why there's disability in their classroom and then they go into a workplace and there's no disability. They, they, it's, just, it's, it's just not diverse. It's not as, you know, any public school our college has so much diversity, and then you go into certain organizations and they have none, right? <laughs> it's just like, um, so we all have unconscious bias. Like I grew up, when I was identified, um, you know, with a vision impairment, I didn't want to I was furious. I was angry. I was sad. I didn't want that identity. I was like, I did not ask for this. I don't want to be disabled. And um, but I realized that that identity that I imagined was one that society was putting on me. It was a stereotype that I had in my own head. I had my own unconscious bias about vision impairment. It took me a long time to be very comfortable, one with the disability. And two, with how people react to that disability as well, you know, Um, what I refer to as as some people call them maybe microaggressions, but I like to call them um, micro inequities. People don't know how to behave around it either. Like I often get because I don't use a cane. A white cane or I don't use um a dog um at the moment, a service dog. I may in the future, but presently I don't. So when I say to people sometimes, um I'm vision impaired, they go, You don't look blind at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, what does that look like? You know? And I'm nearly used to that question now. But it's it's not a very nice question to have to deal with, you know, or mm-hmm. um I know, and it's happened to, I work, as I say, a lot with um, other people with vision impairments, young people with vision impairments, and we get eye tested all the time. You know, like pe- when you say you're vision impaired, people go, can you see me now? And can you see, can you see your man across the road? Like, okay, yeah, that's a yeah. micro inequity. Like nobody needs to go into a workplace and deal with that. Mm. Um, you want to be, you know, look, I'm vision impaired. This is the equipment I use. But after that, you know, I'm the same as you. I'm the same as you. I, I love Netflix as well, you know. Like the, the COVID situation now is impacting me the same as it is you, you know. Yeah. So does that
0: make yeah. sense, sifa Makes total sense, Claire. And it's so interesting what you're saying. I'm Gen X as well. And yeah, you know, definitely we were not exposed to disability in the same way. And I didn't, I suppose I didn't even know or appreciate that, that the younger generations have had much more exposure to that. I'd love to explore, and maybe this kind of takes us a little bit full circle around this idea that those, those generations are entering the workforce, but they're not getting exposure to that same level of disability. Like, what, what happened there? Is this just, you know, is this the discrimination? Is this the, the the unconscious bias that we have that we're not hiring people with disabilities or, or what's actually going on there?
1: No, we're not hiring people with disabilities. I mean, um, 50% of graduates with disabilities are unemployed. And if you are vision impaired or blind, you're 60% more likely um, to be unemployed, right? So um, blindness is definitely... Um, uh, much more difficult to get into the workplace. What's going on? Okay. <laughs> you have HR people listening, have you? Um, I think a lot of the recruitment um, techniques that people use straight away puts obstacles in the way. Um, you know, these kind of psychometric tests are um, the assessments that are being used. Yeah. Say, for example, um, if you're neurodiverse or perhaps you're um, uh vision impaired they just may not work you know like and what i hear a lot is that you're offered extra time you know look you'll we'll give you another half an hour you're disabled you get extra time but sure no amount of extra time is going to um help you see patterns you know that you can't see if you just your eyes just can't see them so i think the way we test people and Expect them to behave we we have you know our machine learnings our ai the assist uh, the um artificial intelligences the way they're set up they all have their biases are already in there because maybe they have been built by an able bodied person who can see you know uh, like it's it's just endemic really from the yeah. very beginning to the very end, so um we're not recruiting because people are knocked at the very first obstacle. Um, around disability, so I do think with disability um, every university and every institute of technology has what they call a DSS, a disability support for students. And um, I know a lot of organizations now, some very inclusive employers, big organizations who want to be inclusive and they want that neurodiversity. They want that creative perspective, flexible um, talent in their organization. They um, liaise directly with the DSS they um, you know, offer mentorships, they offer um, internships directly into the DSS so that the students are coming in through a different pipeline as well. Mm. But if you want your own um, pipeline, your own um, recruitment to be more inclusive, then yeah, you have to look at every step of the way from um, your advertisement and that your advertisement isn't advertising everything plus the the kitchen sink. Um, I was hoping to go for a job recently. It was for um, say, in an inclusive position. Um, But then it said driving was necessary. I didn't even apply, you know. Um, Mm. But I wonder now, was driving really necessary? Because with COVID, everything is online. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I could have um, gone for that position now that, you know, I really believe in remote working. I just think there are, it's such a level playing field for us people with disabilities, because straight away for me, or for many people with disabilities, navigating the public transport system is, just a no-no. You know, it, it's it's not a good public transport system in Ireland. It's really maybe better in Dublin um, and not too bad in Cork City. But once you go around the country, um, you're not going to look very professional if you're relying on the public transport system to get you to work every day on time.
0: Yeah, definitely. You no, know, 100% agree with yeah. that. Um, just a kind of a a point on the job ads that you were talking about like I totally agree that the way that they're done in my view anyway is is not inclusive and this ties in with what we were talking about earlier in relation to the importance of diversity in a workplace and getting all of that diverse thinking and not hiring people who look like me who speak like me who think like me for me the crucial thing in job ads is about finding an alignment of values so making sure that the people who you employ have an alignment of the values and a diversity of thought and I think there there has to be a way to test people's thinking in terms of solving problems in terms of the types of ideas that they come up with and would they be different to the types of ideas that you come up with because I think it's important to get that diversity of um, diversity of thinking and, and diversity of problem solving, um, and that ties in as well, Claire, with what you mentioned about someone designed this psychometric system or whatever it might be. Someone, someone designed a test to test people, but actually, that person was was didn't have any disabilities, and therefore they didn't even think about the impact that that might have on someone who does have a disability. And like you say, they kind of fall at the first hurdle.
1: Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, because this is all back to your question around what is unconscious bias and there's bias in everything. And we can't, not live in a world that isn't biased. There's going to be bias. But I suppose what we need to recognise is that bias can be positive or negative, And what we want to avoid is more of the negative um, bias. The stereotyping, the putting someone in a box, the labelling or, you know, like when I'm doing um, training when around um, disability and disability business inclusion, what I often say to the candidates is, you know, I have five principles. Number one is take your time when it's disability. No one expects a HR manager, a recruitment manager, a people manager. No one expects you to be a medical expert, right? I go to my ophthalmologist once a year. He's my medical expert. He lets me know what's going on in my eyes. But like, if I'm, if I'm working in an organization and I'm working with um, disability, I'll, I might take a bit of time with the person. What are your needs? Like, what do I need to do to ensure that you feel you belong and that you can be successful while you're with us in this organization. You know, whether you're working there, whether it's just work experience or it's an internship or whether it is actually a a permanent position. Right. So give it time and um, to get to know what the what the person's needs are. And sometimes the solutions can be very simple, you know, like number two is be flexible. Sometimes it's around flexibility. And I was listening to one of your other podcasts around like the five hour day, you know, or um, you've done um, you've done podcasts on, you know, the hybrid um, remote working and people, some that there might be two days in the office, but three days at home now. And like all of that, the remote working is going to grow. And I think when it comes to disability, being flexible is fantastic. Like I find like, you can't see my office now. And, um, but if you saw how I work at my desk, like I have my laptop, but I have it linked to a really big screen. Right. So I have lots of real estate to see things so I can make I can use the magnifier and make it as big as I need to. And I also have um, lots of equipment, lots of software that if I want something to read back to me, I can. And even in Microsoft, you have the dictate function in Word. You know, if I just want to dictate an email and then copy and paste it and I can do that as well or I can dictate on my phone as well uh, an email but then i have a piece of machinery which is like a big screen reader and if i get a letter because a lot of stuff still comes in print it doesn't come in um in electronic format so i can't put it all on my um you know just use my magnifier on my computer, what I have is um, a big machine that literally will read a letter for me so I can put it in under and um, make it large and read that. So having all the equipment and being flexible around how people work, that makes a huge difference as well. The number three point that I always say to people is don't assume, all right? When I work with people with vision impairments, we all have different vision impairments. Like, For me, it's my central vision. For somebody else, it's their peripheral vision. You know, like, don't assume that, you know, what you know about disability or about a particular disability is true of everyone, because we all have our own individual experience of our disability. So... um, Say, for example, with Down syndrome, there's a lot of stereotypes around Down syndrome. Oh, they love hugging and they're they're always so happy. Like I've worked with people with Down syndrome and they are as diverse a group as anyone else in society. Some of them are very shy, some of them are introverts, some are extrovert. So don't assume that you might have a cousin with Down syndrome that everyone you work with in the future or meet with Down syndrome is going to be like your cousin, you know, um, because we stereotype that. We, we've learned one thing and we think they're all like that. Um, if you don't know what to do um, around a disability, if somebody, um, you know, say you invite someone to an interview and then they have a particular accommodation and you really don't know how to accommodate that, Pick up the phone, just ask them, say, listen, this is how our, this is, you know, where the lift is or this is we have a glass door or da, da, da. how can we just ask, just ask the individual, how can we best ensure that, you know, you're successful at the interview? All right. And finally, I always say to everyone, just be kind, you know, we're living in a very strange time now, a lot of uncertainty. People with disabilities constantly live with uncertainty because we never know um, you know, what's gonna happen, what are the implications with it. And um, but all of us are living with that uncertainty. And I suppose, um, you know, uh, Eva, you like at the very beginning I was saying from the head down, all that's going on with disability, mental health is disability. And um, you know, there's going to be a massive impact. There is a massive impact of what's happening now with COVID and isolation, et cetera, on our mental health and managing our mental health. So um, all of that is uh, up for grabs, up to be discussed, up to, you know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we don't know, I think, the full impact of this
0: global pandemic yet. I think that it's, it's yeah, we don't know what the future has in store. But um, thank you so much for sharing those um those tips. I made a note of those. I, uh, I was actually about to ask, do you have any kind of practical tips that people can start implementing straight away? So thank you so much for sharing those. Claire, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work?
1: I love this question, Aoife, and I've been listening to a few of your podcasts and, you know, it's really made me reflect on what's important to me. I mean, I'm 53 years old now. I'm vision impaired. I've started my own business. I took the big leap from um, jumping away from public service, um, which is often seen, I suppose, in public service, it's often seen as um, a safe bet for people with disabilities. And I've jumped away to start off my own business around um, disability business inclusion. So I've really reflected on what what is it that makes me happy at work? OK, I love people. I love working with people and I love doing meaningful work with people. Um, Every organization I go into, it's all about people and um, it's about their business. It's about their branding. But at the end of the day, it's about their employees and looking after their people. And there are all kinds of people in the world. So I love when I'm doing meaningful work. That. Impacts positively on people's lives in the workplace. But also in wider society, any of the trainings that I do when I go in, I say, yes, this is all about your organization, but you're not at work all the time. Like you might be a trainer of rugby or a swimming coach or a scout leader or like you're out in society and you're going to be meeting young people with disabilities and you don't want to bring your unconscious bias or any negative stereotypes that you have to that community group. So whatever you learn here that your organization is paying for the training around unconscious bias and disability business inclusion or disability inclusion in general, bring it everywhere. Bring it, bring it to the soccer pitch. Bring it everywhere and um, have a positive impact on young people with disabilities because it's a tough road traveling life with a disability and I meet a lot of very young people um, with disabilities and they have a lot of obstacles to navigate things don't come as easy so when I do work that I know will trickle down and impact meaningfully on somebody else and that means that makes me happier at work yes yeah that's
0: such a nice way to put it Claire such a nice way and if people want to reach out and if they want to connect with you what is the best way to do that
1: in many ways, I suppose. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I, you know, will do share a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. So um, that's easy, Claire Canelli. I also have a website which is InclusiveCork.ie. I also have an online training, an e-learning platform. It's called Inclusive World Training. And I suppose my email is claire, claire like the county, c-l-a-r-e, claire at inclusivecork.ie. And I'd be delighted to help any individuals or organisations around um, disability inclusion. You know, it's my passion.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Claire. I
1: really enjoyed our chat. Oh, so did I, Aoife. Thank you so much.
0: That was Clara Canelli of Inclusive Cork and Inclusive World Training. And I want to just wrap up some of the key points that she made. We started off talking about or answering the key question what is disability? And she talked about it being an evolving characteristic. And it includes things like neurodiversity, blindness, deafness, and it can be associated with mental health issues as well. It can be physical or neurological. And often the narrative is one of tragedy and it can be quite complex as well, but there's this fear and myths and they're keeping us stuck in this situation that we're in. She quoted some really interesting statistics. So one in seven people in Ireland have a disability and one in five globally. I thought that was quite an interesting number and much higher certainly than I thought as well. She said quite often needs are not being met of people who have disabilities and one third of students with disabilities drop out of university and school. Most disability is acquired. We spoke as well about the that most disabilities are hidden. You can't actually see them and then it becomes up to the person themselves whether or not they disclose it and at what point they disclose that they have a disability as well. One of the key questions to pose is how can you show the world that you really are inclusive? We spoke as well about how often characteristics are treated in silos, especially when it comes to diversity and and inclusion. So Claire is both a woman and she is vision impaired. And, you know, she's not one or the other which relates to the intersectionality of diversity. There are a lot of stereotypes associated with disability and people don't want to be discriminated against. Another important question to ask ourselves is, do your employees reflect your customers so? The people who you employ, are they reflective of the people who you serve? We touched on as well this concept of what does disability actually look like? And when she tells people that she's vision impaired, people say to her, well, you don't look blind. You know, what does blind actually look like? So finally, Claire has, Claire mentioned that remote working essentially has leveled the playing field for people with disabilities as well. And she shared a four step approach that you can take to implement in your organization. First one is to take your time. So really get clear on what it is that you are trying to achieve when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Number two is to provide a level of flexibility for people to be able to work around, whether that is location-wise. Obviously, most of us are working from home at the moment. It could be around time. Number three then is don't assume. So don't assume that you know what's going on for someone if you haven't spoken to them. Don't assume that you know what they're like because you have a stereotyped idea in your head. And then number four is be kind. And I think that goes for a lot of areas in life, you know, just be kind. That wraps up another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. As always, I love to hear your feedback and your interaction. What did you think of the podcast? What have you encountered? What changes can you make in your organization going forward? You can access the podcast through my website, happieratwork.ie, and you will also be able to receive the podcast straight into your inbox from clicking and signing up to the form there. If there's someone else who you think would benefit from listening to the podcast, please hit the share button and share it with them now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.